seated. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Next week, we're going to be starting a sermon series. We're going to be going through the Beatitudes of Jesus, and I'm very excited about that. But I'm also really excited this morning to kick off this new year together as a church family by talking about what it looks like to be devoted to the church. You know, I get that word from the first part of verse 42. It says they devoted themselves. And it talks about the devotion of the early church. And we know that to be devoted to something means to be committed to it. It means to be resolved to do something. And it's obvious what a person is devoted to based upon how they spend their time or how they spend their money or how they spend their resources. Our lifestyle shows and demonstrates what it is that we're devoted to. I mean, an athlete is devoted to mastering their sport. A musician is devoted to mastering their instrument. A student is devoted to whatever it is that they're studying. And this passage shows us that as followers of Jesus, we're not just supposed to uh, go to church as if it's a one hour and five minute weekly event, but we are to be devoted to the church. And at a fundamental level, here's why. We should be devoted to the church because Jesus is. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. Okay, well, how are we to do that? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Jesus loves the church. And if we're Christians, we ought to love what Jesus loves. And I know what some of you guys are probably thinking right at the outset. That's easy for you to say, Pastor Nate. Of course, you're going to stand up there and tell me I should be devoted to the church. Same way if you go down the street to the mechanic, he's going to say I ought to be devoted to car maintenance and then give me a bill of like $4,000 worth of stuff I need to do or whatever. Well, listen, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus's word for it, right? If we are the bride of Christ as the church, if we are the, the body of Christ, then we ought to love what Jesus loves. This is why I, I cringe when I hear people say things like, I love Jesus, I love God, but not the church. It'd be like if you came to me and said, Nate, I love you, you're great, can't stand your wife. First of all, that wouldn't happen because it would be the other way around. But second, the reality is we're a package deal. You can't have one without the other. In the same way, you don't get Jesus without the church. Think about the other metaphor the New Testament uses, that of a body and a head. Saying I want Jesus, but not the church. Man, it's like saying I want you, but I just want to remove your head from your body. See how well that'll work out for you. The reality is Jesus and his church are a package deal. But even as I say that, I'm also very sensitive to the harsh reality of a sinful world that local churches have not always been an accurate reflection of Jesus in the world. And there are a lot of people, perhaps a lot of you in this room that have been wounded, that have been hurt by the sins of churches in your past. And man, I'll be the first one to tell you as the pastor that Coastal is not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, good luck. Keep looking. But here's the deal. In those circumstances, we ought to be quick to confess, quick to repent, and striving to be more and more faithful to Jesus each and every day. And here's the bottom line. The sins of local churches in the past does not nullify God's call on our lives today. And my goal in this sermon is not to make you feel guilty so that you'll come to church more. Not at all. 
because that doesn't work. That might work for like a week or two, but it's not a good long-term strategy. Rather, what I wanna do is gaze together into God's word at this incredible picture of what God intends the church to be like and to say, isn't that beautiful? And don't you wanna be a part of that? And though we are far from perfect, that is the target that we are aiming at that we want to be an accurate reflection of Jesus because I believe there is nothing more beautiful and there is no greater blessing this side of heaven than a church family that loves one another. It's a reflection of heaven itself. I've been a beneficiary of that for much of my life. And so this morning, here's the game plan. I wanna study Acts 2 verses 42 to 47 together and look at the earliest church as a model for us to follow. And now let's be clear, the early church was not perfect either. You know, just if you, I hear people say sometimes, well-meaning Christians, we just need to get back to the early church. When I hear that, I'm like, okay, keep reading. Because in like two chapters, two of these people are going to get struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. And if that's not enough for you, there's this book called 1 Corinthians. I'd recommend you read. Listen, the early church was just as sinful and messed up as we are because there were people in it. But the reality is, I still think that the reason why this paragraph is in the Bible is to give us this beautiful picture, to give us this model of what God intends for the church to look like. So here's the plan. I want to look at this passage. I want to see how it applies to us here at Coastal and charge all of us in this way. Here's the main point. Followers of Christ should be devoted to the church. It's my heart that as we're entering into a new year this year, we would be devoted, we would be committed to the local church as Jesus intends for us to. So let's read this passage of scripture together. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, what an incredible picture of your intention for us. Lord, I almost, every time I read this passage, I get this sense of nostalgia for the purity and the beauty of the church in its infancy. And Lord, how much we long to be like this. Lord, would you purify us? Would you strengthen us? Would you work in our hearts and our lives today that we would be devoted to the things that you have called us to be devoted to, both personally and as a church body? Lord, help us to understand this word and apply it to our lives today by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's start by placing this passage in context of the book of Acts. So Acts begins with Jesus on earth. He's commissioning his disciples to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. You have the 11 disciples. You wanna know what happens to Judas? You can read about that later. So you got the 11 disciples. They're there in Jerusalem. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They uh, get another apostle to make it the 12 again. Then the day of Pentecost comes around, Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the people. Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get saved and they get baptized. And that's awesome. We see that. That's incredible, huge moment in the history of salvation. And then when we get to verse 42, the passage we just read, what we are reading is a summary description of the life of that first church. 
of that 3,120 believers. Now, before we get to verse 42, I think there's an important point that needs to be made at the outset. You can't be devoted to the church until you're devoted to Christ, right? This passage presupposes that the 3,000 made professions of faith in Jesus Christ and that they were baptized as a public declaration of that faith. So we become devoted to Christ through the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And when we repent of our sins and we trust in Christ, we have eternal life. That's the very first, the foundation of everything else. And with that in mind, we're ready to come to verse 42. Look at that with me. It says, and they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. First, we're going to look at the church's devotion together. We're going to see three things that the early church was devoted to. The first of these is the word of God. The church was devoted to the word of God. It says in particular here, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? Well, at this point in history, the New Testament had not been written yet. So when we talk about the word of God, for them, that would have been the Old Testament plus the word of mouth preaching of the apostles, because an apostle was an authorized representative of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter one shows us the criterion for being an apostle. It was someone who was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus and someone who was specifically commissioned by Jesus to speak and to write on his behalf. So how can we today be devoted to the apostles' teachings? Because there aren't any apostles today. The office of apostle ceased when the last apostles died in the first century. We know that because no one meets the criteria of Acts chapter one and Ephesians 2.20 tells us that that was a foundational ministry in the life of the church. We are devoted to the apostles teaching today through the writings that they wrote, through the New Testament, through the books that they wrote. So when we hold in our hands the word of God, the scriptures, and we read it, we are devoting ourselves to the word of God. And this is a foundational, fundamental thing for us, guys. The first and most foundational mark of a church that honors God is a church that is devoted to his word, a church that is built on the foundation of his word. And let me challenge us in two different ways that we can be devoted to the word. First of all, make a personal commitment to be devoted to the word of God in your life. You know, it's January 8th. Last year when Pastor David was here and we had the privilege of having him, he talked about New Year's resolutions because it was New Year's Day and he said he didn't really do it. Well, on the contrast, I'm like a crazy person. So even way before New Year's Day, I had like an itemized list of my New Year's resolutions with my strategies to meet those goals and they're, they're all measurable. So they're very specific because I'm a crazy person. But anyway, what we typically do as a New Year's resolution is, you know, I'm gonna read the Bible more. I'm gonna do one of those read the Bible in a year plans. And here's how that usually goes. January's here. We're in Genesis. This is great. Love it. You get to February. I'm in Exodus. This is awesome. Plagues, you know, rivers turning into blood, frogs everywhere. Like, this is awesome. We get to Leviticus and we read about like separating the fat from the sacrifice and burning the fat and what to do if there's mold in your house. And we're like, all right, I'm going over to first John or something. Like it gets confusing and difficult at that point. But here's the point that I bring that up for. We've got to make it a commitment and a discipline in our lives to regularly be feasting on God's word. Bible intake is to your spiritual life what food intake is to your physical life. For a Christian to not be in the word of God, man, you're going to be spiritually malnourished and starving 
Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Make it a commitment, make it a discipline in your life to be devoted to the word of God personally. But, but more to the point of this sermon this morning, we should also be devoted to the word of God corporately as a church community. And the, the first way we do that is when we gather together on Sundays to connect in corporate worship, as we say at Coastal. At the center of our worship service is the preaching of the word of God. This is something we've got to be devoted to. I heard Stephen Lawson say this last week, a church will not rise higher than its pulpit. A church will not rise higher than its pulpit, or I guess for us, our pub table. You know, a church will not be more healthy and more effective than the preaching that it regularly consumes. Sorry. Listen, and as a preacher, as the primary communicator at this campus, that's terrifying. Because it's a weighty responsibility, man, to open up the word of God to the people of God. And this is what it means. And this is how it applies to our lives. It drives me further and further to the Lord. But listen, preaching is a two-way street. You know that? It's not just about the one preaching. It's also about the one listening. You have a responsibility when you come in on Sunday morning as a follower of Christ. Have I prayed for the one preaching? Am I listening attentively? Am I seeking to apply this to my life? Am I taking notes if that's helpful for me? Am I discussing this with my family during the week? Am I discussing this with my small group? Am I really doing all of these things so that the word of God can do the work of God in my life? We need to be committed to the word of God as a church family. So next, the early church was devoted to life together. They were devoted to the word of God, yes, and they were devoted to life together. Let's continue in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You know, there's, a, there's like three or four Greek words that even if you don't know a lick of Greek, uh, there's a couple of words that Christians just know, and partly because they're fun to say. And this is one of them, koinonia, right? This word is koinonia. It's a word that's translated as fellowship or partnership. The idea is having things in common. It is a shared mission. It is a shared purpose. And that word fellowship has a rich biblical meaning. You know, maybe you grew up Baptist like me. So when you hear fellowship, you think about going to the fellowship hall. And that's where the potluck is. That's right. That's where you get your casserole and your fried chicken and praise the Lord. Like all that, I love all that. That's awesome. But here's the deal. Fellowship is a lot more than just hanging out. It's a lot more than just a meal. It's about a partnership in the gospel. It is about having a mission together as followers of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a fellowship that transcends every natural boundary, race, age, gender, background, education, whatever else. It is a shared mission in the gospel that moves us to do life together, to share in the joys and the struggles of life in community with other followers of Christ. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. This probably means at least two things. First of all, that they hung out a lot that they had meals together in their homes. I mean, literally, like this is like they had dinner together a lot. Now, it tends to be the case, I've found this over the years, this is my pastoral expertise for you. There's something that I've noticed that Christians like to do. You know what that is? Eat. Whenever we get together, there's food. And I've also noticed, this is, you know, my, my many years of wisdom and experience. You know which small groups tend to get the biggest? The ones that feed you. They like, always 
I know it's, it's crazy, I know, but it tends to be the case that the ones that feed you are the ones that get the biggest. And here's the deal. It's something about meals. There's something about real community. That It's not just that we go to an event once a week, but it's that we really live our life together, that we're friends, that we like each other, that we hang out. But I think this also contains a reference to the Lord's Supper. And in fact, it was common in the early church where they'd get together in their homes, they'd enjoy a meal together, and then they'd conclude that meal with the Lord's Supper to remember Christ and our unity and our fellowship in him. So let's put these two ideas together. Breaking of bread, fellowship. The basic idea is that the early church was committed to life together. They knew nothing of the individualism of our culture, of the Lone Ranger Christianity, of the my faith is just private kind of Christianity. This is something that they did together. It was their way of life. They lived as a family. And my heart so deeply is that this would be true of us here at Coastal Gloucester, that we would be involved in each other's lives, that we would share in the joys and in the struggles of life together on a deep level. I think this is the kind of community that the world is searching for but can't ever find. You know, this is why people go to bars, you know, where everybody knows your name or whatever. This is why we go to sporting events and we all wear the same jersey. I think the point is we want to feel like we're a part of something bigger than me. And the church is the ultimate expression of that. We're the family of God. We're on a gospel mission together. And the church is the place where we find life-giving relationships and friendships that go deeper than any other friendships. You know, uh, to set up this illustration, you know, Megan and I are like old on the inside, you know, and that we are like boring and we don't ever go out or do anything and we go to bed early, all that good stuff. But a week and a half ago, I hung out with two brothers in Christ, some good friends of mine. And we stayed up till like 1.30 in the morning talking, which I probably haven't done since I was like 17. And of course, the next day I was exhausted because we have two toddlers, so what is sleeping in? Um, but my soul was so refreshed after that. Like my soul was so filled after that. And it reminded me in that moment of the importance of community in the Christian life. Man, we can't do this alone. And why would you want to? It's such a blessing to having brothers and sisters in Christ to link arms with and have these kinds of relationships with. And now, let me tell you about one of the ways that we do that at Coastal. What are some of the ways that we promote and cultivate these kinds of deep relationships at Coastal? It's small groups. Small groups are the place where you build these kind of relationships. Let me give you three reasons why you should be a part of a small group. First of all, I think it's biblical. I think we see it in this text. I get it, I get it. Some of you theologians are like, hold on, Pastor Nate. Don't know what translation you're reading, but I don't see the phrase small groups in this text. Okay, fine. But think about the concept. Look at verse 46 with me. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. It's almost like there was this larger gathering, this corporate worship, if you will. They're gathering in the temple. They're hearing from the apostles. And then they're also meeting in their homes for fellowship and they're praising God and they're in each other's lives. I think we see a little bit of biblical precedence here for this idea of a bigger gathering and then separate smaller gatherings. So it's biblical, but it's also relational. It's a better place to build relationships. If you just come on Sunday mornings, it's really hard to build these kinds of deep relationships I'm talking about. And here's why. Come in next Sunday if you want to. Sit next to somebody you don't know and just start confessing your sins. Just wait for it to get awkward. 
You know, that, that person might be calling for security or something in a minute. I don't know, but here's the deal. Small groups are the place where we can be vulnerable, where we do get to know people, where we can build these kinds of relationships that really where we get involved in each other's lives. Finally, small groups are the best way to care for one another. Because I love you guys, but as we're growing especially, I can't know what's going on in everyone's life all the time. But your small group leader can do that for 10 people, can do that for 15 people. Small groups are the best way to know what's going on in your life and to care for you. I could give you a lot of stories, but the one that comes to mind is last year, I went to go and visit a church member in the hospital when I heard that they were in the hospital. Before I even got there, their small group leader beat me there. We have incredible small groups here at Coastal, incredible small group leaders. So I could keep telling you stories, but the best way to convince you would be if you try one. We do two small group seasons here at Coastal in the spring and in the fall. Our spring small group season kicks off on Sunday, February 5th. We've got like 13 small groups here in Coastal Gloucester meeting at different times, different you know, days of the week, different age ranges, whatever. Make sure you check out and find a small group and get plugged in this spring. I'd encourage you really strongly to do that. But next, we see the early church was devoted to prayer. And this was not new for them. Acts 1.14 says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. So even before Pentecost, the church was devoted to prayer. And this is something that we have to be devoted to as well. I do not believe that a church can expect much blessing from God if we are not devoted to prayer. You know, H.B. Charles is a preacher that I follow. And one time he was talking about that passage in Acts, we're going to see in a minute, where it says they devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And he asked the question, well, what's more important in the church, the word or prayer? He said, well, I don't know. At 10,000 feet, what's more important, the right wing or the left? If you move one of those wings, the whole thing is going to crash and burn. In the same way, guys, if a church does not take the word seriously or does not take prayer seriously, we're going to crash and burn. This is essential to who we are as followers of Christ. We must seek God's face in prayer. Let me give you a few prayer requests if you needed help. Let's be praying together regularly for the health and for the growth of our church family. Let's pray for the needs of those in our small group. So again, we get to know people, we get to know their needs, and we pray for them. Let's pray for opportunities to serve both our immediate community and the world around us. Let's pray for open doors to share the gospel and to see the kingdom multiply. Let's pray for our pastors and our leaders that regularly share the word of God. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray that God would work in our nation, that he would be with our leaders, so on and so forth. I was reminded this week that Again, just as our world is searching for community, but they can't find it, there's almost this natural human impulse to pray. You notice that? There's this natural human impulse to cry out to God. I saw that on Monday night. So I am, you guys know, I like two or three illustrations a week. Like I am a huge football fan. It's probably a problem. But I'm a huge football fan. So I was watching Monday Night Football with Megan this week. And a lot of you guys probably know, it was all over the news, the situation with DeMar Hamlin. Uh, this young man who tragically got injured is very scary. Praise the Lord that he's doing better, that he's recovering. That's incredible. Praise God. But here's one thing I observed as I was watching the coverage. For the next hour, as I'm watching ESPN try to fill time, and trust me, ESPN is like the farthest thing from like a Christian network. But every, like the, every other word that came out of their mouth was pray, prayer, prayer. Pray. We're praying for him. We're praying for him. We're, they were talking about God. 
And I'm like, you guys would never do this. But it's almost like when we come face to face with death, it wakes us up. And that impulse starts to come out of us. We were made to cry out to God. And if people who don't know Christ have figured that out, how much more in the church should we be committed? Should we be devoted to prayer, to crying out to God? So we've seen what the church was devoted to, namely prayer and the word and life together. And the rest of this passage is going to unpack for us what the results of that were. What were the results of their devotion? Several things. First of all, they were filled with reverent awe. They were filled with reverent awe. Look at verse 43. It says, an awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, the word translated as awe here is, comes from the Greek word from which we get our English word phobia. It literally means fear. But this isn't like a, I turn on the lights and there's this giant snake kind of fear. Uh, it's more of a, uh, and this is the illustration I always use because I went to Africa a few years ago. This is awesome. Uh, I see a lion from a safe distance kind of fear because I was in a Jeep and I'm pretty sure we could outrun him. But I still, I'm seeing this magnificent creature who could rip me apart limb from limb and I'm filled with a sense of awe at this creature that God had made. This is the kind of awe that is in mind here. They were filled with a sense of joyful trembling or overwhelmed reverence at what God was doing. It says God was powerfully at work through the signs and wonders being done through the apostles. Church, I think that we ought to be a community that is likewise marked by reverent awe. Even though we don't, as I've already mentioned, have apostles doing signs and wonders today, we still should be a community marked by reverent awe. Let me give you two reasons why. We should be filled with awe at what God has done. I mean, think about it for one minute. God made you. God sustains you moment by moment. The breath that you just breathed is a gift from God's hand. You couldn't do that on your own apart from God. And more than that, we've used that breath to curse him. Yet he loved us in our sin and he sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins, to redeem us, to give us new life in him. We ought to be filled with awe at what God has done for us in Christ. But, but more than that, let's continually be filled with awe at what God is doing. When we think about being filled with awe, I think we get bored way too easily because we tend to only go to the dramatic the signs and wonders, the Red Sea being parted, the little boy's lunch feeding 5,000, the whatever. But we ought to be continually filled with awe at what God is doing in our midst, the amazing things God is doing in our midst. Did you guys know that at Coastal Gloucester last year, we baptized almost 20 people? It's incredible. We had multiple people make professions of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. I know of multiple situations where people were freed and repented of life-dominating sins because of the power of the gospel. Guys, God is doing amazing things among us. And I think, is it possible that the reason why we're not more often filled with awe is just because we're not paying enough attention? Do you realize that when someone gets saved, that is more miraculous than the Red Sea getting parted? All that took was a word. Saving a soul took a death and resurrection. And every time someone comes to Christ, someone was dead and now they are alive. That's amazing. That's miraculous. We ought to be continually filled with awe. But the next result of their devotion was radical generosity. Radical generosity. Let's look at verses 44 and 45. 
And all, who were belie- and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So as an overflow of their devotion to Christ and their devotion to one another, it moved them toward radical generosity. So much so that they were selling what they had and they were giving it to anybody who had need. Because of the love that they'd received, they held every blessing from the Lord with open hands. And here's the deal. Let me give just, I get it, 30-second caveat. No, this passage is not teaching socialism or communism or whatever else. Some people have twisted that passage in the past. No, it's not what's going on here. This is voluntary. This is an overflow of the love that they have for Christ and the love that they have for one another that they are choosing to sell all that they have and give it to one another. And also, the next verse says that they met in their homes. So not everyone was doing this but some people were called to this. So let me be clear. I don't think that every Christian is called to sell everything that they have and give it away. But you knew there was a but coming, didn't you? If you just breathed a sigh of relief, that's not a good sign. You know, one time I heard David Platt, he was talking about the rich young ruler. And you know what Jesus tells the rich young ruler? He tells him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He said, now I don't think every Christian is called to do that. But if you breathed a sigh of relief when you heard that, you're exactly the kind of person Jesus would say that to. And here's why. Do we have money or does our money have us? Are we clinging on with closed fists to the blessings that God has given us or are we holding them open-handedly saying, Lord, it's all yours anyway. So how do you want me to steward your stuff for your glory? We often look at the book of Acts and we say, man, I want to get back there and I want to have this kind of community. Is it possible that one of the main things that's holding us back from this kind of community is our materialism and our greed, our addiction to getting more and more stuff? But the antidote that we've been giving here, given here is radical generosity to hold everything we have with open hands and say, Lord, it's all yours anyway. How can I use this for your glory? And that might look different in everyone's life. Man, for some of you, that might mean a commitment to tithing to the local church and, and watching how the Lord uses that to shape your heart. For others, it might mean setting aside money to be generous with others who are in need. Maybe there's a brother or sister in your small group who goes through a hard time and you're able to bless them. Maybe it's somebody who wants to go on a mission trip and they can't afford it and you're able to help bless them, whatever it might be. And also, generosity is about more than just money. We can be generous with our time is we use our time to love and to serve other people. We could be generous with our talent, the giftedness that God has given us, using our talents to bless other people. Pastor Sean likes to say time, talent, and treasure. You know, it was these very needs that led to the first deacons being installed in Acts chapter six. This is what it says. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will appoint, devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And whoops. There we go. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, pause here for a minute. Here's a tip, Bible reading tip. If you're ever reading scripture publicly, 
or you're reading it in your small group and you don't know how to pronounce the names in the Bible, just do it confidently and make it up. Because no, they, then they'll think you know what you're talking about. Guys, I don't know how to pronounce half of those names. Uh, especially in small group. Don't be like, uh, the, the, just, just go for it. And no one will question it. All right, let's keep going. That's a freebie. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And get this, verse seven is awesome to me. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now, hold up. I didn't see a sermon. I didn't see a worship service. What caused in this instance, the word of God to increase and the disciples to multiply greatly were the apostles empowering people to serve, to meet the needs of others. Do you guys realize that the growth of coastal, the growth of the kingdom of God, the multiplication of the kingdom, yes, the biblical preaching of the word is a huge part of that, but so are you. So is people being empowered to use their time, talent, and treasure to serve and to love others. So let me ask you guys, how has God wired you? Because I get it. This passage is about deacons and praise the Lord. In about a month, we're going to install some more deacons here at our campus. I'm really excited about that. But regardless of your title or regardless of what it is that you do, how has God wired you? And how can you use your time, talent, and treasure to serve this local church? Maybe first of all, for some of you, it means signing up to serve in a ministry in the church, something that ministers to the church family. Guys, we're all pumped about this new building on Hickory Fork Road. It looks awesome. We are super excited about it. But here's the deal. We need a lot more volunteers because that's a bigger building. There's a lot more going on. We need a lot more volunteers in every area. Man, we need more kids ministry volunteers. We need them now, especially in three services. Man, we really need more coastal kids volunteers, first impressions volunteers, and parking, coffee, ushers, greeters, whatever else. We need more music team volunteers. If you have musical giftedness or, or tech or sound or, or men's ministry, women's ministry, small group, student ministry, here's the point. You will never be able to say, I came to Coastal and they didn't have anything for me to do. Guys, there are so many opportunities to serve. Find out how you're wired and use that gift. But it's not just even about in here. We wanna serve the world out there. We want to be the church and our community around us. We want to love those in our community and around the world. Maybe for some of you, that means signing up for a mission trip. We've got some awesome mission trips that we're taking here this year. Maybe you could consider that. We have some awesome local mission opportunities that we want to serve in. In fact, I'm really blessed to have my friend Nathan here leading worship this morning. Didn't he do an awesome job? And give him a hand and embarrass him since he's in right there. Listen, Nathan serves with an incredible ministry called Echo Family Care Partners. And my hope is that in the very near future, I'll be able to come to you guys with some opportunities that we might have as a church family to partner with them to care for families in the Gloucester community. But here's the bottom line for all of us. Let's seek to be radically generous with our time, talent, and treasure to the glory of God, for the good of the gospel, and for the good of our church. So here's the deal. Uh, it's 11.58, and I have three points left. You guys ready? You buckled up? Because we're going to fly through these next three points. I talk too much. Um, the church was marked by joyful worship, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They met together daily. And remember, it says they're filled with glad and generous hearts. They're happy, even though they just gave all their stuff away. 
Like they had this kind of authentic joy in the Lord in their life together. It's incredible to me. Their devotion to God and their devotion to the church led to a lifestyle of worship. And let me tell you, I just talked a lot about sacrifice and serving and time, talent, and treasure and all that's great. But let me tell you, if you're not living a life of worship, you're gonna burn out in your service. You will. Worship is the fuel that motivates us to serve. Worship is the filling of the cup. Serving is the pouring back out. We must be a community that is marked by joyful worship in the Lord. Notice next that the church had a good reputation in the community. Luke tells us in verse 47 that they had favor with all the people. Now, this doesn't mean they were currying favor with the world. It doesn't mean they were trying to get people to like them necessarily because, I mean, keep reading, persecution's coming. The system of the world always opposes the gospel. Nevertheless, because of their love and service, they did have a good reputation in the community. And I think that this is something that we ought to pursue. If you look at my job description, namely 1 Timothy 3, it says of a pastor or an elder that they have to be well thought of by outsiders so they don't bring reproach on the church. I think the same principle applies corporately, that as a church, we should seek to have a good reputation in the community. I want Gloucester to know even if they don't accept our message, even if they don't believe the gospel, that we are here for Gloucester's good, that we love this community, that this is our home, and we want to leave this place a better place than we found it. We want to seek to have a good reputation. Finally, last result of their devotion was gospel multiplication. Last sentence in this paragraph is, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church was a growing church. In fact, it was a rapidly growing church. Day by day, the Lord was adding to their number. And notice here that just as God is sovereign over salvation on an individual level, God is also sovereign over church growth. It says the Lord added to their number day by day. I love 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I quote it all the time. I planted... Apollos watered, but God, but God gave the growth. What's our job in this whole thing? We plant and we water, that is we nurture. We help it to grow and be healthy. But God is the one who in his timing and in his way gives the growth. Guys, we are very fortunate here at Coastal Gloucester that we just came out of a year of incredible growth as a church family. You, know, you guys know back in August, we had to add a third service to accommodate a lot of that growth. And I know Pastor David shared this last week, but man, on Christmas Eve, we had 345 people here, by far our record attendance. And that's really exciting to me. And I praise God for that. And that's really awesome. But here's the deal. We've always got to keep this perspective in mind. Our goal is never growth just for number's sake. If we learn anything from the ministry of Jesus, we learn that crowds are fickle, that they follow you one day and they're gone the next. We don't want numbers just so we can brag about how big we've gotten. We want numbers because numbers represent human beings who need to hear the gospel and who need to be discipled. We want our influence to increase because we want to see the Lord adding to our number day by day, those who are being saved. We want more opportunities for the reverent awe that we talked about earlier today. And listen, you have an integral part to play in the multiplication of the kingdom. In your family, in your job, in your neighborhood, there are people that I will never get to talk to 
people that I will never get to meet. We all have a responsibility to work for the multiplication of the kingdom. So let me ask you, who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you seeking to mentor or disciple to grow in their faith? Let's be praying about that this year. And so as we're getting ready to close, I just want to leave you. I just got one takeaway this week. Just one. You ready? Be devoted to the church in 2023. That's the takeaway. And even as I say that, I look around this room, man, and there are people in this room who put me to shame people who are more devoted than I am, people who give of their time, talent, and treasure so sacrificially and joyfully. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Man, it is such a joy to be your pastor. You guys are incredible. We have, I am biased, I get it, but maybe I'm not. Like Coastal has the best members in the world. And okay, I am biased. Coastal Gloucester has the best members in the world. You guys are incredible. You're generous, you're loving, you're supportive. I love you guys and I'm so thankful for you. Keep it up. But maybe there's some others of you that's here this morning who maybe you're new, you're just checking us out, or maybe you've even been coming for a while, but you haven't really gone all in yet. You haven't really jumped in and you're wondering what the next step might be. Let me tell you, here's a couple of next steps you can take. The first step to getting plugged in at Coastal is our We Are Coastal class. This is the class that's our on-ramp to membership here at Coastal. It's where you find out what we believe, how we function, and how you can be a part of what's going on here at Coastal. So the next one that we have coming up is Saturday, February 4th. Uh, And so here's an easy way to remember that date, by the way. It's the weekend in between the two 49ers games, okay? So Saturday, February 4th, it's 5 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, So I know that's a long night, but dinner and childcare are both provided, so it can be a date night for you, okay? Uh, Please, please, please sign up. That really helps us with our planning. You can register at gocoastal.org slash membership or write it on your Connect card. Guys, that is step one. That is the first step to getting plugged in at Coastal. But next, maybe the next step for some of you would be a commitment to coming to corporate worship faithfully. A commitment saying, man, for me and my family this year, we're gonna make it a rhythm in our life. We will be here to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings. Make that a commitment in your life. For others of you, it might be a commitment to joining a small group this spring. For others, as we're talking about serving, you're like, man, I I really want to find a way that I can serve both inside the church and outside of the church. Maybe it's a commitment to multiply. I'm doing all those things, but I want to take someone else along with me. I want to evangelize someone. I want to disciple someone. And you guys know what I just articulated, don't you? Connect, grow, serve. And we added a new word last year. You ready? Multiply. Here's the crazy thing. I think we see all four of those things in this text. We see all four of those things in this text. Here's what I mean. The early church connected to God in corporate worship when they sat under the teaching of the apostles in the temple. They grew together in community as they met in smaller groups in their homes for fellowship and worship. They served others by sacrificially giving of their possessions, time, and skill to meet the needs of others inside and outside the church. And as they did this, their impact multiplied as the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the point. At Coastal, when we ask you to connect, grow, serve, and multiply, we're not asking you to do anything that the church hasn't already been doing for 2,000 years. It's just what the church does, and it's who the church is. So I'd like to invite the worship team back at this point, and I'd like to leave you with one final thought as they're coming back. I believe with all my heart I get it. I get it. All the flaws of local churches in the past, all the sins, all the wounds, I've got some too. But here's the deal. There is nothing more beautiful than the church. 
nothing. There is nothing more beautiful than the church. Jesus Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for the church. And as his followers, we ought to be committed to the church in the same way. I love the old hymn, The Church is One Foundation. It goes like this. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. From heaven, he came to sought and sought her. It's my heart and my hope that we would be committed to the church for the glory of God, for the good of the gospel, and that we would love what Jesus loves. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it's true, that it's life-changing. Lord, we confess the ways that we fall short in this area, Lord, every single one of us in this room. But Lord, we trust you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will enable us and empower us to be the church that you've called us to be for your glory. So Lord, help us, lead us, guide us strengthen us. Help us to be a more accurate reflection of Jesus in the world until the day you return and we see you face to face. Lord, we love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and go out singing this morning.